Well, for those of you that, wait a minute, hold on, let's try that again. Good morning, New Valley. All right, there we go. Well, for those of you that are new here this morning, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. And it's believed that Mark was the first gospel written. But there's also another element I want to point your attention to. The ESV Study Bible says this about the Gospel of Mark. That the ultimate purpose and theme is to present and defend Jesus' universal call to discipleship. So Mark's gospel is largely about discipleship. Some of you may be saying, what is a disciple? I hear that it's a very Christianese word, but what does that actually mean? Well, it simply means follower. But we have the benefit of the church fathers. Uh, St. Basil gives us a definition for disciple coming out of the 4th century church. And he says this, A disciple is, as the Lord himself taught us, whoever draws near to the Lord to follow him, to hear his words, to believe and obey him as Lord and kin and doctor and teacher of truth. So whoever believes in the Lord and presents himself ready for discipleship must first learn to set aside every sin and everything that distracts from the obedience owed to the Lord. So I love that definition from St. Basil, and it shows what a costly life it is. But as a, a discipleship pastor here at New Valley, I'd like to sit, put it in my words as well. A disciple is someone who is beginning to taste the sweetness of the gospel, who is aware that their sin and their brokenness has been met by Christ's love and forgiveness. And the sweetness of that relationship with Jesus Christ draws you in to follow the Lord. So it's not a mere adherence and attendance. I show up to church, I do this, I do that. No, it's being drawn in by the love of God. We all know the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is, this is what comes to my mind when I sing this song, even today, 42 years old, pastor, been through seminary. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that is saving a wretch like me. The sweetness of the gospel continues for followers of Christ. It's a sweetness. It's not a set of rules. It's an invitation from a loving God. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20 today. So if you'd like to read along, please open up your Bibles. Otherwise, you can look up here at the large print, and we'll go through this passage together. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd speak through your word this morning. Would you illuminate your word? Would you send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes? Would you guide the words of my mouth as I proclaim the truths and the good news of the gospel? We also continue our confessing, Lord, that what stops us often from this life of discipleship is fear. We're afraid of following you, afraid of what that might mean, afraid of not being protected and loved. Would you give us belief as we listen? Do you lighten our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a conversation between a devil and his apprentice. It went something like this. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. You see, you've got to keep them shallow. You try to keep them out of the Bible or quote the Bible to them. You try to keep them out of church. I open the doors for them. You see, going to church and reading the Bible doesn't make them dangerous. I like to tuck sweet Christians in at night. But the followers, the true disciples, that's what's dangerous. Keep them away from believing and following, trusting that they're loved, coming under the authority of the scripture. Keep them away from the adventure of discipleship. Keep them away from the suffering because that'll truly refine them. This is an adaptation of C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters. And I think it reveals the true problem of discipleship, shallow discipleship. The battle of the church for past centuries has been orthodoxy, what's true and what's not true, and that does continue today. But I think where the battle has really honed in today is this. I think the enemy wants to see Thousands, millions of shallow disciples calling themselves Christians but denying that there's power and there's life and there's love and there's goodness and there's truth in this life of discipleship. Can you imagine this? Imagine coming out of church today and in the parking lot are a whole bunch of street evangelists and they're coming up to you and they're saying, I know you just came out of church. I know you're a member of New Valley. Your pastor's awesome. I know you just heard a sermon. But do you know the man? Do you know the man? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the man from Galilee? Because there's so much more to being a Christian than adherence and attendance. Don't be deceived into thinking that punching your church card this week has made you a disciple. There's so much more. There's so much more love. Jesus' disciples were shocked 
as they got to know him. You see it unfold in the Gospel of Mark. They're in a storm, in a boat. Jesus is sleeping and wakes up and says, Shut up, wind! The wind and the sea immediately calm. And you can just see his disciples awestruck. What? What manner of man is this? Who is this that's with us? His voice controls the sea. I can't even get my kids to be quiet. That would be Peter. He didn't try to talk Adam and Eve into hating or rejecting God from their life, did he? He's not interested in these big, he's subtlety. Rather, it was the subtle, don't you, you don't really need God. You don't have to go that far, do you? You deserve more choices. Though they were surrounded by abundance. It's been the enemy's tactic from the beginning. I just want shallow disciples. We can deal with that. It's amazing to see the church in China and Africa flourish. We're seeing the church is really abounding in Africa and Asia. It seems to be diminishing here, though I trust God's work is going to continue. But pastors in Africa and Asia are reporting this, that though, our though we're growing in converts, we are shallow in disciples. Please, help us disciple our people. So there's three points we're going to focus on today, and I've kind of framed it negatively. Shallow disciples avoid authority. Point two, shallow disciples avoid adventure. And three, shallow disciples avoid suffering. Mark 1.14 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. He became proclaiming this gospel. And with that, he said, Repent and believe. And you can see that playing out as he encounters his first two prospective disciples, Andrew and Simon. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, verse 16, he saw Simon and Andrew. These brothers were throwing their circular nets into the sea. And he says, Follow me. He's authoritatively calling them into this life of discipleship. Come under my authority. One thing that I'd like to highlight here is this. At this time in history, a follower would often choose his rabbi. I like rabbi so-and-so because he doesn't talk too long. I like rabbi such-and-such such because of this or that. But Jesus, knowing who he was, walks onto the scene along the Sea of Galilee, this very large lake, actually. And he says, Simon, Andrew, come and follow me. I'm choosing you. One theologian just states it like this, what's striking is Jesus' call of authority that he issued. 
He's asking these men to accept a complete and permanent change of lifestyle for the sake of a totally new destiny. Can you imagine if Simon or Andrew said, oh, don't worry, Jesus, I read the Torah, I go to synagogue, we're good. No need to fall, we're believers, we're, we're, we're good, don't worry. I... But Christ says to these believers, these God-fears, come and follow me. There's more than synagogue. There's more than hearing the Torah. There's a life. There's a person. So what would you do? Being encountered by the authoritative call of Jesus Christ. I assume that they heard of his baptism when the voice of the Father spoke down and said, Behold my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And they followed after him. So in this age, our greatest authority tends to be ourselves. And I think the word autonomy is a great word to, to dissect this. Autonomy, self-law. Auto, self-onomy. Nomi is law. I'm a law unto myself. I make my decisions. I choose. So we love to be our own authority, don't we? I mean, it was true back then. It's still true today. We love to be our own self-governing authority. And I'm in danger of this because I have trained myself in being my own authority. I remember as a young man playing basketball, and I slammed my locker door really hard one time, and coach said, Shay, you're sitting out next game. And I said, guess what, coach? I'm not, because I quit. You think I'm under your authority? Psh, I'm going home to watch the Golden Girls. <laughs> and imagine what a great basketball player I became under that tutelage. So to believe the gospel is to accept Christ's call to authority. And really, we flourish under his authority. My sons just recently tried out for a basketball team, and it's a pretty elite basketball team, so I was preparing them to not get accepted. All right, guys, you know, that was a great effort. So proud of you. We can always play. You know, we have a basketball court down the street. But I get a text the next week, and they got accepted. Like, whoa, now we're going to have to figure out how to pay for this. <laughs> and so what I'm training them is this. Like you, we watched March Madness. We all got into it. It's the only month of the year we watch basketball. We watch March Madness, and we just see these athletes just flying. They look so effortless and skillful, dribbling between their legs. But I said, guys, that doesn't happen by accident. It happens by coming under the authority of a coach, tutelage, and training. That's where you grow and that's where you flourish. That's where you become a disciple of basketball. And anyone that's heard a beautiful musician playing their instrument, it looks like they're so free. There's so much freedom. It looks like they're just freestyling, letting that freedom just come out of their heart into the instrument. But guess what? They've submitted to the yoke of authority of years of discipline and training and it's after living under that authority that you come out and you begin to demonstrate such freedom and beauty. To reject the authority of God is to reject the beautiful, 
gracious, informing presence of Jesus Christ. He has a discipleship plan for you that requires you to submit to his authority that will glorify you. The glorification process begins right now. It doesn't start in heaven. It begins right now. And he's glorifying you from one degree to the next until he finally glorifies you, body and soul, when he returns. John Stott is a famous English theologian and pastor, and his very final book that he wrote was on discipleship, and he called it The Radical Disciple. So I think it's, it's informative that this was his last work, and this is what he says in it. So the fundamental question before the church is, who is Lord? Is the church the Lord of Jesus Christ? So that it has the liberty to edit and manipulate, accepting what it likes and rejecting what it dislikes? Or is it Jesus Christ, our teacher and our Lord, so that we believe and obey his teachings? We come under Christ's authority when we drop our nets. I don't know this is how this is going to play out, but all right. I'm, gonna, I'm going with you. We come under his authority when we enter another day of singleness and anticipate his faithfulness in using us. This singleness is his intentional, glorious plan for our lives right now. We come under his authority when we enter and endure through physical pain and loneliness. Do you know where the most beautiful worship comes from? Those who suffer. Those are who are alone, and yet they raise up their hands. They say, I don't know what tomorrow promises. I don't know if I can make it through today, but I'm going to praise you. That's the most beautiful sound in God's ear. You're submitting to his authority. You're saying, yes, Lord. Yes, my king. I trust you. I'm not a circumstantial worshiper. You come under his authority when you go to Walmart and you buy a Sharpie highlighter and you go home and you highlight all the promises in the scripture because you struggle with mental illness and you want to have something to cling to. This is the truth in my life. This is what's good. This is the voice I should listen to. Shallow disciples avoid those things. They're autonomous. They're discipled by the golden girls. Shall disciples also avoid adventure? Why would you do that? Adventures are so fun. When Jesus authoritatively called Simon, Andrew, James, and John, he was inviting them into an adventure. Come on, let's go. Where are we going? Come on, let's go. He didn't send a postcard. He didn't talk to their parents beforehand. He said, come on, let's go. He was just walking by the sea. I mean, the way that the gospel Mark says it, it sounds like he's just walking by the sea one day and like, hey, come and follow me. Like, what? In the, I'm, I'm in the middle of work. I'm calling you to an adventure. So what is true of any true adventure? I'm not talking about Disneyland, okay? You've all been to Disneyland. There's guardrails and there's theatrics and you're all in the moment and you're scared, but then 
15 minutes later, you're eating a turkey leg, right? Walking around like, oh, look at that. Oh, it's all right. He's calling you into a true adventure. There's real danger, but there's also real glory and real reward. Mark 10 tells us that there's rewards for those who follow him as a disciple on earth and in heaven. Real rewards. Jesus meets those first four disciples and says, come and follow me. Imagine if they said no. I got my nets, I got my business, I'm good to go. Little did they know, so we see the gospel of Mark go on, they're casting demons out, they're seeing Jesus heal people, they have the gift of healing, they're, they're brought into this life that they never would have known if they said, I'm cool, Jesus, I got my routine, I got my flow. One author puts it this way, real adventure is never trivial but concerns matters of genuine importance. But we're often tempted to avoid adventure, aren't we? I mean, remember the, the rich young ruler? He had a lot of money. He says, Jesus, what do I need to do, you know? And Jesus says, drop your riches. He's like, ah, I got too much for that. I'm good. Imagine what Jesus would have brought him into. He definitely wouldn't have let the rich man outgive him. We're often tempted to avoid the very adventure that Christ is calling us into. Real danger, but real reward. There was a relatively young man who was approached by an older, wiry-haired man. And the man said this to him. I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. I'm arranging this, and it's, it's very difficult to find anyone. The relatively younger man says, sorry, uh, I don't want any adventures. Not today. Good morning. But please, come for tea anytime. And Bilbo Baggins continues, we're plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things that make you late for dinner. I can't see what anybody sees in them. I got a hole full of jam and toast, cheese. I'm good. So... How are we going to respond to Jesus' call to enter an adventure? I'm good, Jesus. I got my hobbit hole and my cheese. Everything's figured out. I got my retirement. We're good. I don't need any adventures. I like this flow. What are we sacrificing? What did we just sacrifice? We come into true adventure when we meet the Lord in morning prayer, do you know that God actually speaks to you? You meet, you make time for him, and you open up the word. He speaks to you. I think we're often more comfortable just, I have my plans for the day, and as long as they go the way I want, I'm good. But the Lord actually has things to invite you to on a daily basis. He has words to speak to you. I can still remember times him meeting me in prayer and giving me words and instruction. 
we move towards adventure when we trust the scripture. I once had a professor who was from Purdue and, and I was trying to share my faith with him and, and he's like, oh, the church doors would fall in if I ever came. And I said, well, you know, there's this guy named David and he was a sinner too and God called him a man after his own heart. And he's like, David, you know, he's a literature professor from, from Purdue. And he's like, you know, it's, it's believed that David's actually just a, a fictional, idealized character. What was I going to say? I had to move forward in the adventure. It's it funny. About eight years later, I hear on the radio that there's an archaeological find that has conclusively demonstrated that David was an actual historical figure, a real person, a real king of Israel. I came under the authority and I entered the adventure. A true adventure happens when we forgive someone who's hurt us. It's so easy to put up those walls and those comfy boundaries of hurt. We cherish our lies and we sit back in comfy places. But the Lord calls us to an adventure to forgive those who have actually hurt us. Who knows what he has in store with restoration and reconciliation? Maybe there's not even going to be a reconciliation based on what's happened in your story. But maybe there's going to come healing into your heart and a new life and a new freedom a turn in the road of discipleship where there's going to be a beautiful adventure of you stepping out of the bitterness that imprisons you yourself. True discipleship, I like this one the best, uh, happens when we believe that we're truly loved. Do you know who's free? Those who believe that they're truly loved. It's not circumstantial. It's not based on your grades, your performance at work, your spouse. It's someone who knows I'm truly loved by God. I can step out because I got backing that no one can stand up against. I look at, think of our Reformed uh, definition of justification. It's an act of God's free grace whereby God pardons us of all our sins. But don't stop there. He forgives us, then he opens up the door and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Come on in and live with me, dwell with me. You have love and you have support. You have a place to live. The sweetness, the love of Christ, the protection of the Father. We believe that we're accepted, but we often resist the adventure of being truly pursued. And this authoritative God who calls us into this adventure, who is he? Some of us are nervous of authority, nervous of adventure, but remember who we're talking about, Jesus, who came and suffered to pursue you. He's a type of authority that invites you in and protects you. You can go into this adventure. This is a good endeavor. final point here shallow disciples avoid suffering in this scene we look yet at the next scene and going on a little further verse 19 he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him so from the get-go Jesus was calling them into a life of sacrifice 
You see, to be a fisherman at this time was not a lowly position. It was business ownership. They owned their own business. They hired hands to come in and work with them. They had good income coming in. They had a family business. And Jesus says from the get-go, drop your nets. Drop your financial security. Come and follow me. Come into a life of sacrifice. I'll show you more than you ever could have grabbed with your two little hands. But we often avoid adventure. They left their father Zebedee in the, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Peter and Andrew, who look as the story goes on, were actually crucified. Peter crucified upside down. James was one of the first Christian martyrs executed by Herod. You see that in Acts 12 too. John spent his retirement years not in Santan village area, but he spent it on the island of Patmos. The life of a disciple is a lifelong commitment to authority, adventure, and suffering. Jesus, as I said earlier, he was the suffering servant. The prophet Isaiah, all the way back in the Old Testament, said, when the Messiah comes, this is how you're going to know who he is. He's going to be a suffering servant. The king, the rescuer, is a suffering servant. So when Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, heaven broke through, and God answered the cry of Israel that, Thousands of years, where is justice? Where is our leader? Where is our king? And he came as this ordinary looking man that was a suffering servant, that healed sick, gave blind sight, and that endured and received a battering. He was stripped naked in public, humiliated, bludgeoned, mocked. They nailed him to a tree, and people just walked by and shook their heads. <laughs> Shallow Christians love to call out sin. Radical disciples weep when they're rebuked. Shallow Christians merely repent. A radical disciple adds to their repentance joy and forgiveness and the hope and strength to do better. Shallow Christians merely obey. A radical disciple sees obedience as an act of worship. There was a young man who attended college in Chicago and he sensed this call to this radical type of discipleship. He said, I, I feel like I want to I go and give the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. He's going to this great college, great university. I mean, he had a lot of promise in front of him. Strong, athletic, handsome, intelligent. But I want to go reach this unmet people group. And he tells his girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, and she's like, all right, I'm up for this adventure. Let's go. It could be costly. And they go to Ecuador to reach the Aka people. And Jim and his four friends, after months of planning and prepping and touching, uh, making contact with the Aka people through, through through gifts they would, they would lower down from their airplane, eventually it was the day, and they, and they went 
And they landed on the shores in Ecuador. And they went out to, to meet the Aka people. And each of them, Jim and his four friends, were speared to death. And there, those young bodies, full of promise, laid, blood pouring into the river. And reporters eventually came to Jim's wife and said, what a shame, what a shame. These young men had so much promise. They had, there was so much of a future they had. What a shame. What, do, what, what can you say to this? And she said, my husband Jim died years ago when he was in Wheaton College on his dorm room floor. He was on his knees and he said, I give my life to you, Lord. Do with it as you will. He's famous for saying this, Jim Elliott, who died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So think of the end of your life. We don't know when this is. It could be day, today. Hopefully it's a long time in the future, decades away for each of us. Think about what you want. What are you living for? It's a retirement. What are you going to bring into the grave with you? Your reputation, your record, your money. On that day, nothing's coming with you. Except for disciples. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, My joy, my reward, my crown is not all my credentials, my degrees, my accomplishments. He says, My joy, my reward, and my crown is this, to present these Thessalonians before the Lord at his coming. Because that's enduring. I remember praying with a, uh, a grandfather in Haiti, and I'm looking around at, at the, the poverty, and this man prayed with such passion. I can just remember in that prayer, he stomped his foot on the ground as he cried out for his grandson to know Jesus. Because he knew, in all the lack that he had, that there was something to be gained great in Haiti. There was disciples to be gained. God is calling you to something greater. He's calling you to a life of discipleship. Will you come under his authority? Will you accept the adventure? Will you offer your pain and your suffering as worship? Not everyone is called to literally abandon their profession and their family, but all are called to put everything in second priority to him. Saying yes to that call is the first step in a lifelong adventure. There's no one better to follow than Jesus. This is all about a person. His name is Jesus. And this is why I commend him to you, because Jesus submitted to the Father's authority. He didn't just come down and say, obey me, come under me. He came under the Father's authority and said, I don't do anything but what I hear my Father telling me to do. He cried out in Gethsemane, can this be passed? Can... can can I avoid this suffering that's about to happen? I can't. And the Father says, go forward. And Jesus says, yes, Father. Jesus accepted the great adventure of the incarnation. To my knowledge, he's never been incarnate before. He entered the world and history and time and the potential to suffer, to be hated, to be ridiculed. He left his place of authority, his lofty comfort of protection and authority and he entered the vulnerability of the human experience of being rejected by friends being cheated on 
being murdered. And Jesus walks straight into suffering for love. His mission was to come and to suffer, to make disciples who would make disciples. Today, the message is the same as it was then. Jesus is here speaking just like he was on the shore of Galilee that same day. And he's saying, repent. Christians, repent. Believe the gospel. Follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've heard from your word. We've seen your example, Jesus. And we ask now, would you give us the Holy Spirit so that we can take up the call, so that we can respond to this call to follow you? Many of us, myself included, we confess of years of shallow discipleship. Some of us are being called the very first time, Holy Spirit, would you strengthen and enable us to come forward and say, I need you. I will follow you. I'll come under your authority. I'm up for adventure. I'm up for the danger. I'm up for the real reward. I'm up for suffering. We invite you, Lord. Come and have your way. Disciple us here at New Valley. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.